0: Well, it's wonderful to welcome you. As uh, the guy said, my name's Ben. I have the privilege, and it is a privilege, to be the pastor of Vintage Church, Pasadena. And we're so grateful that that you're here with us. Today, we are uh, jumping into uh, a series that we started actually a year ago. We don't go that fast here at Vintage sometimes. But this time last year, we started looking at the shape and the nature and the purpose of the kingdom of God on earth. And uh, we started at the beginning of Luke's gospel, if you can remember all the way back, way back then. And we looked at the early life of Jesus, and then we got to this bit, which is just incredible, in Luke chapter four, where Jesus is just beginning his adult ministry. And he gets up in a synagogue, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. Um, If you remember that, like Jesus' mandate for what he came to do. And then a little earlier this year, we looked at the Beatitudes, which was super fun. And we did that creatively with art and music and other ways of doing that. And now we're going to pick up the story again in Luke through Luke chapter 7 and Luke chapter 8, and that's going to take us up to Advent. I mean, who knew it, but Advent, like Christmas is actually not that far away. Don't worry, I know some of you have already got your music on and your trees up, and one of our staff has been listening to Mariah Carey since Easter, as far as I can work out. So you may not be there yet, but we're gonna take the next weeks to, before we get there, to look at the story of Jesus and his kingdom ministry. And if you wanna kind of headline for what these next weeks is gonna be about, it's gonna be about Jesus getting down to business, about the big stuff that starts to happen on the earth. And today, we just so happens that as we start Luke chapter 7, we are confronted by not one, but two stories of physical healing and transformation. Um, And I don't know about you. I don't know how you feel when people talk in churches about healing. Uh, Some of you are probably the team who are like, yeah, we're all in. Like, just let's go. Like, We're up for healing. Stop talking now. We want to see the Holy Spirit do some stuff. Some of us, probably more if we're honest, are a little bit more like, yes, I believe God can heal people, but it's been in books, it's been out there, and I'm not sure he'd ever do anything near me. And some of us, probably are uh, even further along that, and we probably go, actually, I don't really like this topic. I don't really like talking about healing because when I prayed, did not the thing I, I prayed for didn't happen or the condition that I've been living with for so long hasn't changed and I keep praying and actually what I really wonder is, does God hear me? Does God love me? Is God powerful? Can can God, will God ever do anything about it? And I hope that wherever you are on that spectrum that this morning you will hear something that will encourage you and uplift you and bless you toward healing. Um, And so, uh, should you pray for healing? And if you should, how do you pray for physical healing? So um, I'm not going to be able to get through everything in the space of one morning, but I just want to, before we get our reading, I want to just highlight a couple of books, which are super helpful to me. Um, the first is The Healing Breakthrough by Randy Clark, super good guy. It's an old book now, but that one, if you want to Amazon that, you can, um, and a book by a great friend of ours called Mike Pallavachi, um, Everyday Supernatural. So those two books might help you along the way, uh, but we're going to get our reading now. So if you've got your Bibles... Uh, You've got it in paper form, papyrus form, verbal form, memorized. Uh, Luke chapter 7, 1 to 17. Is someone reading? Yeah, Matt's reading. Sweet.
1: Luke chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There was a centurion servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bear they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. As great prophet has appeared to us, they said, God has come to, to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country.
0: Sweet. Thanks, Matt. So we're going to look at both stories, but for time, I'm going to focus a little bit on the first one, if you've got that in front of you. And in the first story, there is a centurion, Roman centurion. Think about all the armor and the bits and the sword and all those kind of things. Uh, A centurion was a reasonably high-ranking officer in the Roman army, probably would have commanded about 100 troops, stationed, as we just heard, in Capernaum, but would have received orders from 50 miles away, maybe in Caesarea. And the centurion had a specific job, which was to keep the peace in a particular town, a particular city. A centurion was powerful, was prosperous, was responsible. And often in their areas, the centurions were not loved greatly by the local population because they were the symbol, the front line of the invading force. They could be brutal, they could be tough, they could be demanding. But centurions were also those who carried great responsibility, um, one historian said of centurions that they were had to be not seekers after dangers, but men who can command with faith, steady in action and reliable, not over anxious, but when hard pressed, to hold their ground and die at their posts. But then we see in this story, like another character, who is the complete opposite, is the Roman slave. And to be a Roman slave was not to be prosperous and wealthy and well thought of and have lots of rights and ability to do stuff. Actually, to be a Roman slave was to be nothing more and nothing less than a piece of merchandise. In an old Roman document that was recovered, the Roman government wrote to the farmers in the Roman Empire and said this, "'Examine your farming equipment every year and throw out those which are old and broken.'" Do the same with your slaves. Slaves had no more rights, were thought of no more highly than a spade or a plow. The fact that this centurion has anything good or wants anything good for his slave is actually kind of remarkable as we're going to see. And what we see, in fact, is the first thing I want us to look at today, which is that healing in a physical, emotional, or spiritual sense, flows from love. It flows from and with love. You know, the last person that a centurion would ever be bothered about is somebody is subhuman, as somebody is seemingly unimportant in that culture. As a slave, you certainly wouldn't go out of your way. You wouldn't do anything nice. You wouldn't bother. You could just throw your slave away and get a new one. But yet, we see, verse two, that the Roman centurion loved his slave. Cared for his slave, had compassion and kindness and wanting the best for his slave. Last week, we, um, we talked about the shape of our church as a community. And we talked about the idea that before God ever created a world, there was God in community. A loving, beautiful community called the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. And that, that community just was all about self-giving love to the other. And that when the world was created, Adam and Eve, and then Abraham and the people of Israel, and then the church, the story was about the love of God flowing out of God's in Trinity, out into humanity, giving itself away to create and love and protect and care and look after. And last week we said that, therefore, one of the things that we know of ourselves as the church is that we are the receivers of God's great love that we are loved so deeply and passionately and purposefully by God. But it's not just that like God loves us so we, we get to bask in his like, warm embrace and sit around in churches and go, this is just how we've always dreamed it would be. But actually that when God pours his love out into the world, into the church, it is so that the church would join him in showing that love to the world around us now the church exists is to show the world how to love and the, maybe the main way that the world gets to see about the love of god is when we seek we work for we look for the stories of the eternal kingdom on earth so what do i mean by that well we all know right that when god designed the world originally it was beautiful it was wonderful it was without defect and we also know that as we look forward to what we call heaven, that that place where one day all believers and followers of Jesus will get to be for all eternity, we know that things are beautiful and wonderful. And that therefore, as we just sang in that song, the role of the church is not only to point to heaven, it's not only to remember what happened in, the Eden, in Eden, but it's actually to pray for, to work for, to love for, the things of kingdom right now, right now. And so when we see something of God, when we see something of the kingdom, we say, Lord, would it come quickly? Would it come now? Might we see it here on earth as it is in heaven? And so when we talk about healing as we are this morning, we realize that healing starts and flows from this idea, Revelation 21, that he who is God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no death. There will be no mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I know you know this, guys, but in heaven, there is no death. In heaven, there is no pain. There's no suffering. There's no brokenness. They do not exist in heaven. Why? Because they were never God's intention and his design for his children anyway. They are the results of the brokenness and the fall and all the things that Jesus has dealt with on the cross, all the things that God is dealing with them will one day fully rid from the human story. And so right now, when we pray, when we act, when we love, when we talk about healing, we're asking that those things of heaven would come quickly to us on earth and by the way, it's not, it's not surprising there for that when Jesus, who is God himself, walks on earth, when his love, when his power starts to be made known on the earth on a group of people, what do we see? Physical, spiritual, emotional healings cropping up all over the place, because that's what the kingdom of God looks like, with the overflow of love and power and the holiness of God into a broken work world. And that's... What the early church did too. That's why the early church, full of the Holy Spirit, saw healings everywhere. It's why we, the church today, are invited to share in that same story of love. But you know, it is a story of love. Because I think sometimes when we talk about healing, what we really are talking about is like, wouldn't people be impressed if they saw how powerful and wonderful we are? Like, wouldn't they be amazed like if I had an international healing ministry and people would come from miles around? That is never the story of healing or it's not supposed to be. The whole story of healing is all about love and it's about compassion. We see it in both of these stories abundantly this morning. I don't know if you noticed in the second story, but there's this widow and to be a widow in that culture was deeply problematic. It was to basically have lost almost Everything. That was going to be about your family and your security, your income, your place in society. All that this widow had left was one son, and the one son died. That was it, the bottom of everything. And the widow is on the way to the funeral. People are mourning, they're out in the streets, they're literally taking him to be buried. And Jesus is crossing over, the, crossing over their path. Now, I think if I'd been Jesus, right, and my, my job description was like, okay, Ben, you've got, th- you've got, you've got three years, Three years to transform the world, three years to bring about the kingdom, three years to proclaim good news, three years to conquer death and darkness. Like, I think if that was me, I'd have been quite busy, you know? I think I'd have got my office, I'd have got my marketing campaign, I'd have got my team, I'd have got my comms strategy. I'd have been like, every hour of every day would have been really quite well sorted out. And yet here's Jesus, right? Right? confronted by this completely inconvenient situation that's blocking his path. And what does he do? He stops. Out of love, out of compassion, he speaks life into death. That's what love does. Love brings life to death. We see the same in the story of the centurion, completely inconvenient, completely impractical, and yet Jesus drops everything to go. And we believe in the same Jesus. You know, church, if you came to church this morning and you know, you're broken, you're hurting, if you're wondering if God loves you, I want to tell you about this same Jesus whose heart is for compassion, his heart is for love, whose heart is for kindness, whose heart goes out to you. The healing story is always starts in love. And the second thing, though, that you need to know is that the healing story flows from love, but it comes with the power in the name and the words of Jesus. The centurion, right? He's, he's not a Jew, he's not a Christian, has no great like seminary-based theological exposition of Old Testament scripture or anything like that to go off. But yet he realizes something profoundly brilliant, which is that as Jesus approaches his house, he says to the guys, hey, actually, Jesus, you don't even need to come. You don't even need to touch my servant. You don't even need to come in my house at all. All you got to do Jesus is this say the words and my servant will be healed say the words you know if if I you know you kind of expect this story to go like oh yeah come on in Jesus bring your medical equipment you know bring your magic bring your people bring your music bring the candles bring the incense bring whatever you want to bring come and do the stuff and yet what the centurion realizes is that actually an order from Jesus, a word from Jesus, is enough to bring complete physical transformation. The words of Jesus have life over death. We see it in the second story, right? He says to the young man, get up, get up. I mean, it's not the most pastorally sensitive thing to say in a bereavement situation. Get up. When Jesus goes to to his friend Lazarus' house, who's been dead for three days, starting to smell, what does he say? Come out, Lazarus. We've got stuff to do. There is something about the words of Jesus that are so incredibly powerful. The name of Jesus is incredibly powerful. Now, that sort of seems surprising until you realize that Jesus is God, right? And if Jesus is God, then you realize that kind of makes sense because how did God make the world? With an atomic bomb? With a screwdriver? With a JCB? With a cat- caterpillar? No. He made it by his word. God spoke life into being. And today on earth, the words of God are enough to bring life out of death. They're enough to bring transformation. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I have never heard of anybody ever being healed in the name of Buddha or Allah or Santa Claus or wishful thinking or Ben or John or Matt or anyone else. The only person I've ever heard who has the power. To heal is the name of Jesus, because Jesus is the name above every other name. It's why when Jesus himself says in John 16, he says, Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. In my name. Um, A little bit earlier this year, we took our first trip down to Mexico. We've taken a few now. And a few of us were there to pray with people who were attending uh, an eye clinic, and um, a, uh, a medical clinic. And people of incredibly poor in areas of Mexico come from tens and hundreds of miles away to come to these free clinics, which were being run by Christians from the US and from Mexico. And over a couple of days, you know, a couple of us, we, we prayed for a lot of, a lot of people. But on the second day, uh, just after lunch, uh, a lady came to the clinic, and she had been uh, with her husband trying to start a family for, for 10 years. She had really painful, debilitating cysts. Doctors had told her, like, you will, you, will never, you will never start a family. And really, to come to the clinic was just her last ditch attempt to say, like, could anything happen? And so when she'd arrived at the clinic, Someone had taken a blood sample, someone had taken a urine sample, they looked at the stuff and you know, sure enough they were like, yeah, this isn't going to happen for you, I'm so sorry. So they, the doctor said, well, I know, Well, we could at least pray for you. We could at least ask Jesus to do something here. And so Daniel, myself, a few others, we, we gathered around this lady and we just started to pray in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, that you would bring transformation and healing to this lady's life. In the name of Jesus, that you would make it possible that you would remove these cysts. We just went through praying. And as we started to pray, I mean, it was, you know, we prayed for a lot of people. I, I spotted in, in the corner of my eye, this person start to run across the clinic. I'm like, it's a bit weird. And I could see as they were running across that they had something in their hands. I realized it was one of the nurses. And they were holding, like... Actually, one thing in either hand. And I thought, oh, that looks like a COVID test. And then as she got me near, I was like, oh, no, that's not a COVID test. Those are pregnancy tests. I remember what those look like. Yeah. And, and she said, hold on a minute. And she ran across. And, and as we were praying, I was like, this is just really weird. She, she, said, she started mouthing something at me. I thought, why are you mouthing something at me? We're praying. She said, no, she's pregnant. I was like, no, 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 no. we're praying for her. You told us she couldn't get pregnant. You asked us to pray. We're just praying. Can you just leave us alone? She's like, no, she is pregnant right now. I thought, this is really strange. And basically what happened was that the doctors had seen her. They'd taken the urine sample. They'd sent her to get prayer. And they thought, well, why don't we at least take the urine sample and we'll do a pregnancy test with it? Because we can do that whilst they're praying. That would at least be a helpful thing to do just in case. And sure enough not one, but two pregnancy tests had proved that right there and then she, had, she was pregnant. Ten years of trying and she was pregnant. Now, amazingly, um, I happened to have my camera in my hand um, as we were praying. And so about 30 seconds after that, um, we recorded this little interview with her and I want you to show you this is what she, she said uh, when she found out that she was pregnant tell us your name and, and uh, why did you come to the clinic today
1: she came because she was seeking for uh, a study because they told her she had cyst
0: yeah um, and you've been trying to uh, have a baby for some time?
1: Has estado tratando de conceder un bebe por mucho tiempo? Por cuánto tiempo? por 10 años que yo soy casada. She has tried for 10 years. She's been married and she's been trying for 10 years.
0: Yeah. And today uh, we were able to pray with you. And uh, what happened today?
1: Ahora pudimos orar por ti. ¿Qué pasó hoy? To. That God called and told us that wow, she was, that was pregnant. Amazing.
0: It's wonderful.
1: Gracias a Dios. Thanks to God. Muchas gracias. He gives lots of things. He does miracles and greatness. When we serve him. A God is the one that makes the miracles when we serve Him. Is
0: that amazing? I don't know if you saw right at the end. But the guy in the middle was the the woman's husband, who like literally started, ran down from the fields. who's a farmer in the nearby fields, and he ran down to see her and everyone was just crying. And and of course, I I did the pastorally sensitive thing to say, which was like, it's great. By the way, the son will be called Benjamin, just so you know. (laughs) I hope they thought it was a joke. Um, (laughs) What I loved about that story was that not once did she say, oh, you guys are so powerful. You guys had it all together. You guys had some magic in you. She said, God came and visited me and healed me. And I find that deeply reassuring that when we pray for healing, it is not about whether or not we have it all together. You know, sometimes I feel like with healing, it's like if you just get the right combination of words, good things can happen. You know, like we invoke the Spirit of the Lord to come thou upon this person in profound majesty and might and to cast out the, you know, what, you know, we just get like that. Prayer is nothing to do with you and me other than we get to play a part in what God is doing, and it is in the power and the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. So then, it sort of asks the question, well, what what is it about us that seems to make any difference? In the second story we just read this morning, Jesus just had compassion on a person and just healed them out of the blue. Nobody else was really involved in the story. Why is it that we sometimes get called up to be part of the story of healing? Well, it seems like actually because we are God's children, because he loves us, because he cares for us, then actually he's really keen that we get to play part, that he wants to include us, that he wants to invite us, that he wants to involve us in the things that he wants to do on the earth, that it is our privilege and our pleasure to play in the healing stories of God. You know, there's only two instances ever in the New Testament where Jesus is described as surprised. One of them's in this story, but do you know, anyone know when the other one, where the other one is? Special points. I'd be amazed if you did. Okay, well, it's in Mark chapter six, and this is the point where Jesus' relatives and his friends refuse to believe that Jesus can heal and transform and that he's actually who he says he is. It says that Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith. But yet here, notice what he says, Jesus. He says, when Jesus heard the words of the centurion, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. How and what part do we play in the story Then the word that is used is the word faith. Now, if you look up the word faith in the dictionary, it just says this. It is to have complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And sure enough, right, you see it in the centurion. Don't even need to come, Jesus. You don't need to come to my house. All I need from you is an order. I just need you to say some words. The guy's going to be fine. So can you just say the words and he's going to be fine? Jesus is amazed. But there's something about faith which is more than just words, isn't it? You know, I got a friend who messaged me this week, he's not a Christian, and just said, Ah, oh, my wife's really sick. Now, I can pray, right? I can just, without even telling him, I can say, Dear Lord Jesus, please, would you, in the power of Jesus, would you heal this lady? I can do that. Is that faith? Well, maybe. I believed it. I knew God could do it. I was doing it out of love. I, the name of Jesus. Is it faith? Maybe. The second thing I could do is I could say to my friend, hey, by the way, I know you don't believe in Jesus, but, but I do, and I'd really love to pray in the name of Jesus that your wife would be healed, and I could do that from afar. The third thing I could do is I could actually say to my friend, hey, like, can I come round and pray for your wife that she would be healed in the name of Jesus? Now, you can work out which of the three I did. It wasn't the last one, just so you know. There's something about faith which seems to be more than just me doing things in private on my own. It's why cheesily people say faith is spelled R-I-S-K, right, risk. Because there is something in the story of faith where God says to us, Ben, I want you to lean in. I want you to put something on the table. I want you to put something down that's going to cost you something in this story so that you actually play a part, not as a spectator, but you're actually going to be part of this. And it might be just a little bit risky for you. And it might be a little bit costly. And you might not even want to do it. And you might even occasionally look a little bit stupid. But I want you to play a part. You know, what I didn't tell you about the Mexico story was that, that that happened on the last day after lunch. And by that point, I was exhausted. I mean, we'd been praying for people for days, and we hadn't seen like, lots of things happening. And we just had food, and there were these kind of makeshift like little booths in the, this old church where it was. And, and I went and lied down on one of them because I was so tired. There was like this camp bed. I'm like, I'm just going to go lie down. I'm so tired. I'm done. And after about five minutes, the medic, whose cubicle it was, said, like, Ben, get up, (laughs) get out of my thing, I've got to see a patient, would you just get out? And I walked out, just as the doctor was saying to the rest of the prayer team, like, would you come and pray for this lady? Had it been one more minute, I'd have missed it. Had it been two more minutes, I'd have completely missed it, I'd have woken up with all the things that were going on around the room afterwards. You know, it was actually the Christian doctor who is scientifically trained, who is a medical professional, who was saying, we need a miracle. So let's pray in faith, with belief, with trust. We're gonna put our full weight on the Lord that he might do something here. It means that when we pray, actually just praying, hey God, if you wanna do something with Matt, that would be great. It's probably not how it's gonna work. It requires something of us. To be engaged, It means when we pray, we, we pray with expectancy, with belief, with trust that God is powerful and good. It means that we, we pray with, with repetition as well. You know, hey God, oh you didn't do anything, oh it doesn't matter, maybe you didn't want to do anything. There's this wonderful story I want to just quickly read from you from Randy Clark's book. This was from a mission they did. It said, a blind man was healed when a woman on my ministry team heard an impression, pray for him. At five years of age, the man had spilled muriatic acid in his eyes, which had resulted in his complete blindness for over 50 years. Instead of beautiful brown Hispanic eyes, both of his eyes were covered by about an eighth of an inch of white scar tissue. The woman was on my team. She prayed for him for five hours. Whenever she would stop to interview him though, she would find out that nothing had happened. How could she pray for five hours when nothing was happening? It was because she just kept hearing the strong impression from the Lord, do not stop praying. She obeyed, not stopping until it was time to leave the meeting. At that point, there'd been no change in his ability to see. The woman returned to the United States the next day, unaware of any changes in his condition, but on the third morning following the meeting, however, the man woke up without any scar tissue. He had new pupils, new corneas, and completely good vision. The woman prayed for five hours and nothing happened. And she went back to the United States only for the healing to happen three days later. You know, in our community, we have a, a lady, she comes from a Muslim family. And uh, a month ago, she uh, had a severe brain hemorrhage. Like basically the doctors said, that's it. You know, you probably, you're in a coma, you will, you will not recover. And our prayer team, her Christian members of her family just started to pray for her. And we prayed that she would recover. Day one, nothing. Day two, nothing. We've just been praying and praying and praying. Last week, she woke up. She'd been told she would never wake up, and she woke up. This week, I've been getting videos of her just beginning to eat and recover, and she stood up for the first time. And, you know, she's not fully healed yet. She hasn't fully received that healing, but, but she's on the way. And there seems to be something about the faith of people around her to say, we are contending for you. We are asking in the name of Jesus that the things of heaven would be true in your life right now. John Wimber famously said, you can't say Jesus doesn't heal unless you pray for a thousand people, in which case then you can say Jesus doesn't heal. So here's just finally a few practical things I want to encourage you with. The first thing is this, healing is guaranteed. Don't walk out, don't walk out. (laughs) Healing is guaranteed one day. If you are a Christian, the promise is that one day when your body does finally completely give up on you and they bury you, that you will, be re- you will rise again to life in heaven. You will be physically resurrected into the eternal kingdom. That's what we say at funeral services. One day you will receive every piece of healing that you need if you know and love Jesus. In the end, all will be well. Now, if you're here today and going, well, that's fine, Ben, but I have chronic pain. You know, I have chronic issues. We prayed for my friend and they died. You know, we're desperately trying for healing and it's not happening. The promise of Jesus to you is that you will receive the healing in the eternal kingdom, but we're not quite sure whether you're gonna get it first. We're not quite sure whether you're going to receive it in full before you get there. But healing is guaranteeing the kingdom. The second thing is, is that when we pray, we have to pray humbly. Humbly. You know, these two delegations went to the Jesus. The first were these Jews. And the Jews were like, hey, Jesus, you should come and heal this centurion's guy because centurion's guy is a great guy. You know, he's done these nice things. He's a really good guy. He gave us some money so we could build a synagogue. You should come. It was kind of this like moralism. And it's a bit jarring. Whereas when the Roman centurion sends his own people, what does he say? Jesus, I don't deserve it. It's not my right to ask for it. But would you come and say the words and my servant will be healed? You know, when we talk about healing, the reality is is that we don't deserve it. We don't. I do not deserve the God of the universe who flung stars into space to visit me and do something for me on my terms, in my way. I don't deserve that. In fact, if I'm really honest, the gospel of Jesus says that I am more sinful, I'm more broken than I'd be ever prepared to admit. I do things every day that mar God's image in my life. But yet, but yet, I am more loved in Jesus than I could ever hope for. You are more loved in Jesus than you could have ever hoped for. Jesus loved you so much that he conquered death for you. And, and I think that means that when we come, we come with faith, but we also have to be prepared that it may or may not work out exactly like we expected it to. I don't know if you, any of you heard Bill Johnson speaking about a month ago after his wife died, he's the pastor at Battle Church in Redding, California, and his wife died of cancer. And it, it just YouTube, the sermon, it's one of the most astonishing sermons I've ever heard in my life. But this is what he said, I'm paraphrasing, but he said this, "Look, my wife died, we prayed for her, we interceded for her, we stood in faith, we claimed her life in the name of Jesus and she died. Here's what I know, God is good. Here's what I know, God is kind. Here's what I know, God is powerful and gracious. Here's what I know, she is now healed in the eternal kingdom. I, Bill Johnson said, have no right to say of God, why didn't you heal her right now? It is just my responsibility to trust and speak of the goodness of God in my life. For what an incredible thing that Bill Johnson could say that after two days or three days after the death of his wife. When we pray for healing, we do it with humility, trusting God for the outcome, because we don't necessarily always get the outcome we want. But we are always invited into the mystery of God. Into the mystery. The truth is, I don't know why well, when we went to Mexico, we prayed for like 100 or more people, and two actually got healed. Full-on, medically provable Healing. I don't know why those two did, and I don't know why the others didn't. I don't know all the things about living in a broken world, but here's what I do know, is that I have to pray anyway. I have to pray anyway. I pray because I'm told to, Jesus tells me to, but I also pray because when I pray, things happen. When I pray for lots of people, some people get healed. When I pray for nobody and I stay at home, guess how many people get healed? None. None. And so the only logical outcome is that we have to pray. We pray in faith. We pray in the name of Jesus. We pray with humility. We pray with perseverance. And we keep on praying because it is the loving thing for us to do so that God's people would be seen and that God's kingdom would be known. And so, uh, as I close, I want to invite you into the mystery, if you want to, of prayer. You know, I don't want to just talk about healing. I don't want this church to be just a church that talks about healing. I actually want us to offer the opportunity for people to be healed. And we've already got some amazing stories how people have been healed in this church. And so... um, in a moment, I'm going to invite you if you want to either receive healing or you want to pray for someone for healing, um, with no pressure at all, I'm going to invite you to, to be involved. But here's the, here's the one-minute crash course of what you need to know about praying for someone. Okay. If you're ever praying for healing, number one, invite the Holy Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit. Invite God's power to come in their life because you can't do it any other way. Invite God to come. Number two, pray with confidence and with faith, as we just said. Number three, uh, speak to the condition. Um, Seems a strange thing to do, but it's absolutely fine if you see someone with a, a hurting elbow to actually say, in the name of Jesus, elbow, be healed. In the name of Jesus, tendons, ligaments, go back into correct alignment. That's actually a really biblical and helpful way to pray. Speed the condition. Number four: do it in the name of Jesus, not in the name of Ben. that won't work, in the name of Jesus. Number five, do it with your eyes open. We're always told, pray with your eyes closed, right? Pray with your eyes open." Why? Because you might see something. You might see God do something, and if you see some, do some, God do something, don't miss it by having your eyes closed. You can actually see how God moves sometimes. Um, sixthly, listen. You know, just in that story that I told. Actually, they heard, she heard the word of the Lord instructing her how to pray. Listen to God. Number seven, be really brave and ask the person for feedback. Um, this is scary because it might mean that you failed or it worked. But actually ask them, hey, how does it feel? Oh, it was a 10? You had a 10 pain in your elbow? What's it like now? It's a five? Great. Let's pray some more. It's a four. Let's pray some more. Number eight, uh, pray again and again. And then number nine, um, give it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord because you don't know. You don't know what God is doing. You don't know if the healing is gonna to come tomorrow or the next day or what's gonna happen. So here's what we're gonna do uh, with the last minutes of our service. Um, Tom's gonna to lead us in some worship in a moment. But I just wanna ask you, and there might just be a couple of us here this morning. If you um, came this morning and you would love the healing of the Lord in your life, whether it's emotional, physical, or spiritual, would you be astonishingly brave and just stand up where you are? It can be a small thing, can be a big thing, pain, chronic. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Great. Wonderful. And just in case you're wondering if you have pain or anything like that, here's a few things from the prayer team that they felt the Lord say. Uh, There is someone here who's got a blood issue where your body isn't getting the oxygen it needs. Stay standing, guys. Yes, stay standing. Um, uh, Anyone? Is that anyone specifically? You've got a blood issue. Okay, well, if it is you, stand up. Uh, somebody who's got a groin issue. I'm not going to ask you to <laughs> say if you've got a groin issue. A um, couple who've been struggling to have a child. Someone who's struggling with dizziness or balance, maybe an inner ear thing. Um, if that's you would, you, would you be brave enough to stand? Um, somebody who's got a real problem with sight. Uh, someone who's got a problem with dexterity in their left hand. Um, and someone who's got a broken toe or finger and I already know who that is Um, but okay look at that All right. now here's what we're going to do is as Tom plays if you would like to and you're not under any pressure it would be wonderful if like five or six people could just gather around each person and just we'll leave the instructions on the screen and just pray simply in the name of Jesus following the instructions is that okay can we do that Okay, don't leave them hanging for too long. It's embarrassing. Okay, the rest of us are going to stand up and we're going to worship and we're going to pray from where we are. But if you want to be involved and experience this, go and find a person who was standing. Actually, guys, could you put your hands up if you stood? Because I've just confused everyone. Okay, just so people can see. Go and find a person with their hand up and go for it. And we're going to spend five or so minutes just praying, praying for each other. And the rest of us are going to just pray and sing from where we are.